Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Somerset Stories, the podcast which explores the lives of the people who live, work and create in Somerset. My name is Lewis Webb and each week I get to share the stories of some of the inspiring, creative and successful individuals and families that make this beautiful county their home. We're back for a new season with 14 fantastic guests lined up ready to share their lives and insights. Plus, we've got a brand new game to play to test their Somerset knowledge to the limits. As ever, your comments, reviews and feedback are always appreciated. And if you'd like to send us a message, you can email hello at somersetstories.com. My guest for a very special 50th episode of the podcast is Caroline Kaur, a member of Ireland's most famous musical family and one quarter of the band that shares their name, The Kaurs. Combining traditional folk music with popular and rock influences, The Kaurs have sold over 40 million albums worldwide, including the multi-platinum Talk on Corners, which ranks in the UK charts as one of the most successful records of all time. They've shared concert billing with Bono, Stevie Wonder, Mick Fleetwood, Celine Dion, Ronnie Wood and more. On top of all that success, Caroline was awarded an honorary MBE in 2005 in recognition of her charitable work and fundraising. We met on a warm autumn morning and chatted about music, motherhood and a whole lot more. Caroline, welcome to Somerset Stories. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you. We're in the middle of the changings of seasons, although it's a beautiful day today. Mm-hmm. How do you normally feel about this time of year? Oh, I, I just love this time of year. Um, it feels quite nostalgic to me and obviously it's the you know it's the run-up to Christmas and it's very beautiful especially here in Somerset I mean I feel we're coming out of summer but we still got the weather's pretty decent so yeah it's one of my favorite times of year. You've been in Bruton for about six seven years now mm-hmm. what brought you originally to this part of the world? Well to be honest it was quite random I was living abroad and I think my children were at a time of their lives where we were thinking about schools for them and we had toyed with the idea of possibly going back to Ireland, living there, possibly Dublin. And I had two very close friends that lived in in Somerset in this area and we had been talking to them many, many times and they they just loved this part of the world. Um, two Irish friends, actually, very close friends. So we visited a few times and I just I just kind of fell in love with the place. Although I have to say the decision was quite quick because, you know, I was at the time I was moving from abroad, I had to make changes quite fast. I was, you know, dealing with schools and things like that. So it was a very, very quick decision, but ultimately one that I couldn't have envisaged a better outcome. Let's rewind a little bit then and start at the beginning. You were born in Dundalk on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. (laughs) That must have made birthday parties quite fun. It was. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, because everybody was always available for my birthday, which was which was really nice. And obviously St. Patrick's Day is a huge day in Ireland and still is um, and globally now. So it was always just so much fun on my birthday, you know, um, and people were always so kind because of the day that was in it. In terms of age difference among your siblings, your closest to your younger sister, Andrea, did the two of you share a close relationship in early life? Really, really close, yeah. I think because of the age difference, we're, we, were, we were sort of brought up like twins in a way because we always did everything together and probably it was just easier for my parents to manage the situation that way, being a family of four but um, or six, including my parents. but. Yeah, we were always, I mean, I'm close with all of my siblings, to be honest, 
Um, but I think just in the sense that myself and um, Andrea shared friends and we did a lot of things together, it made us, it made us very, very close. Music was central to your family life. Your parents were musicians as well, weren't they? Yes. I mean, I think we had an unconventional upbringing in that way, in a sense that my, my, my parents were... It really started with my father. My father loved music. Apart from his regular job, he really wanted to be a musician. He was one of those frustrated musicians that this is, really was his calling, but then he had his regular job to pay the bills. Um, and my mom was a very good singer, but that she figured that out later. And they eventually joined together and became actually a working band. But it would be at weekends. It would be sort of, I wouldn't, um, it would be with their, their, their regular jobs. Um, and so for us, it was, it was unconventional in the sense that we were always um, listening to music. There was music all around us. My father was extremely good at teaching us uh, piano from a young, young age, quite terrifying piano lessons at times, <laughs> but, but he pushed us, which was good. And then learned different instruments as we grew up. It was just natural. Do you have any memories of going to your parents' performances? I do, actually, yeah. I mean, they were generally in local pubs or, or in wedding venues. Um, and I do remember being allowed. It was kind of like a big deal for us to be allowed to go because we were so young. So we went to, um, I went to see them a couple of times. And it was just like seeing your parents in a very different light, you know, than their regular day-to-day -day routine. What they were doing on stage was just, was great, you know. Beyond their music, what else did you grow up listening to? I mean, I think growing up in Ireland, there's one thing I always notice is that, that we have, um, our radio is very broad. I mean, there seems to be music from all around the world and whether it be, you know, music from the UK or music in, in the States, um, European music, I felt like, and traditional music, we had this mix of so much music that we were hearing all the time and locally um, and also great bands at the time were still coming out of Ireland. So um, we were fortunate in that way, I think, to have a broad sort of, just being able to listen to so many different types of music. And outside of music, what else did you get up to together as, as brothers and sisters? Um, what did we, do? you know, there was, <laughs> I'm trying to think, my brother was quite a bit older than us. So he was already sort of working while we were, we were at school. Um, apart from school life and friends, our life was, you know, our, our child was pretty simple, really, really quite simple at the time. You know, there wasn't many, you know, big holidays or anything like that. We would sort of holiday locally and, and I think our lives were just, just, just quite simple, but good and fun, good friends. You talked about playing different instruments and trying, trying them out. What did your journey to the drum kit look like? Yeah, well, um, I never expected ever to be playing the drums. Just, it never even crossed my mind. I, I was playing piano and I'd got to a certain level. Um, we all played piano. So for me, the, the very first performances you'll actually see of the band is me playing the keyboards or piano, which now to me looks ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the early stages. At that time, I hadn't even started to properly learn drums. So I had a boyfriend who was very, very keen drummer. And I just remember one day I was with him and I just started trying out a few rhythms with him. 
And I remember my brothers and sisters came in and they said, wow, you know, why don't, I think we should have a, this is really early stage. This is like I'm 60, I'm 15 or 16. And they said, oh, we could, this, this would be great for the band. So my learning curve had to be quite quick. Um, I think I remember doing our first TV show and I was just petrified because I really had been playing drums for a very, very short period of time. Um, so it was never, it was never something that I'd envisaged at all. I mean, really, piano was my, my main instrument and I, I, I didn't think about it at all. Was there a moment where the drums sort of clicked for you, where you were sat and you felt, actually, this is my thing? Yeah, I always loved it. I mean, I always felt um, it, it quite a, a powerful pl place to be in a sense of, you know, there's a lot of responsibility with being a drummer. <laughs> you know, you're counting the band in. You've got to get this right. But I felt very, very comfortable to not be at the front of the stage, if that makes any sense. Some people want and need and love being at the front. For me, that would never have been as comfortable for me. It was just part of my personality. Um, so the drums felt very comfortable for me, even though the learning curve was, was quite difficult because I was suddenly doing quite you know, I was doing a lot of shows very, very fast. So I, I didn't at times feel prepared the way that I would have liked to have been prepared. So for you, there was no, no fights about who was going to be lead vocalist? No, not at all. I mean, we could all sing, but I think it was pretty obvious that Andrea's voice, um, well, she sang way more than we did. She was very passionate about singing and her voice, well, it's a very personal thing how you feel about when you hear a voice. But to me, she had a voice that was, that was very unique and, and beautiful. You mentioned playing together when you were 15, 16. Was there a conversation about being a band together or did it just happen more organically? I think we, we definitely had a conversation about it and coming out of school and my brother being a bit older, he'd already been touring with some bands and I think he, oh, he'd always said, oh, wouldn't it be great for us to, to, to actually have a band together? So I felt being at the tender age of only 16 that I felt like it was sort of I did feel it was sort of mapped out for me a little bit. I definitely had a decision in that, but because I was so young, I felt this was a natural progression for us to, to, to go into music. But I don't think we would have envisaged, you know, we were, we were all very ambitious, I would say, and hardworking, but I don't think we knew how far that would go. We weren't quite sure. Yeah, I suppose at 16, just thinking about being a professional musician is one thing. Yeah. But having an idea of where that's going to head is completely different. Well, it's quite daunting because I think if you were to think about how statistically how much this can possibly go wrong, you probably would never do it. But I think you can't think like that. And I remember people used to say, oh, well, you know, you know, especially teachers, some teachers would say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. But I would say, well, if you don't put all of your energy into something, the chances are lower of it becoming something. And I was fortunate. I mean, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's partly just being motivated, trying to create the best music you possibly can early on, you know. What were the early days of performing and recording like? Our early days were nearly comical, actually, because um, we, my brother had this, he was a bit more tech savvy than, than, than us girls. 
but he had a an eight track studio and he liked the technical side of music and creating music so um, he had uh, being older he had rented a house close to our, our family home and he had set up a studio there so we actually were in a house recording music even while I was at school so we actually created our first record which was forgiven not forgotten pretty much in in that room with sort of egg cartons on the walls for soundproofing and I mean it was it was it was quite comical but it, it felt normal to us and, and then we had something to actually give if an opportunity came along if there was we had actually a product and not a finished product but something that people could listen to and, and say oh this is what these guys might sound like in a few years. Speaking of that product your music has always been somewhat of a bridge between traditional folk and more contemporary uh, pop influences that seemed to strike a chord early on particularly in the US as well can you tell me a bit more about that? Um, yeah, that was, an, again, another gradual progression. Um, you know, we met our manager quite early on, a man called John Hughes in Dublin, and we were all busy writing this music, and he turned around and he said, doesn't Sharon play the violin? <laughs> <You know? laughs> because we played different instruments we didn't know really what we were trying to create because we hadn't really thought about thought about it hard enough and then we all loved traditional irish music so it just seemed very natural to amalgamate or put together these types of music together naturally it wasn't contrived it wasn't oh now let's put this in and make it sound like this it wasn't contrived it felt very very natural because we did play irish instruments as well and andrea also played the tin whistle so this also made sense. And then I picked up the Baron later and, and it was part of our identity. It was certainly something that was very close to us. Who did you share that, those early recordings with to get an idea of, is this, is this good? Are we on the right track? Were your parents involved in critiquing the work? Yeah, I mean, I have to say my, you know, and it's something about the, you know, whether you go into the arts or whether you go into music, having that type of support is so important. Um, my father was absolutely unwavering, my mother as well. They were, you know, you should follow your dreams, um, even even though you may never earn much from it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a money thing. It was basically, you know, just follow what you want to do. So they were very, very supportive and, we, yeah, we used to bring back the demos to them and play them to them and they would be really excited about the work. Yeah, uh, I mean, eventually this led to us being able to, those first demos were, were used um, for, our, for our first producer. He, he was the first person to hear them later on. Tell me about your first tour. I was thinking more around the performances that you did in, in the States in the early days, kind of around... I think that ended up with you supporting Celine Dion, is that right? Yeah, 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 that was later. I mean, our first ever shows were very small shows and it was a tour of Ireland. Yeah. Um, and, and this was us really starting to play together um, because we'd done a lot of studio work up until this point. We really hadn't done a lot of touring or, or, or gigs and we really needed to work on that. So we did a tour of Ireland. We, the first record did well, actually, bizarrely, in Australia. So we ended up touring there quite a lot, um, eventually coming back to Europe. And then later on, we were with John Giddings, um, our agent, who also was agent to Celine Dion and many, many other artists. 
Um, and he said, hey, would you like to do um, Celine's tour? And we were like, yeah, well, absolutely. But it was a big step for us because at this point she's already doing arenas. So we're literally this little band with not much experience suddenly having to do support for Celine Dion, which was amazing. And she, she I mean, she was she's an amazing woman. Um, I mean, her performances were incredible night after night. So we we just got up and did it. You know, you just you just you just push yourself to 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 perform at that time. But I'd say there was a few dodgy shows <laughs> from us, for sure. <laughs> and it's an entirely different prospect, isn't it? Filling an arena versus sort of theatres and smaller yeah. venues that you've yeah. been more used to. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're, as a support uh, as a support act, your your shows are small are, are shorter. But still, you've got to get up there and uh, it's an arena, so you've got to you know, do the best you can and, and, and hopefully the audience are liking what you're doing. While you were gaining more acclaim, did you talk amongst yourselves about what you were going through? I think it's complicated being family. We would, I, I think it was at times difficult because sometimes we'd be successful in a different country and then promoting in another country. It was very hard to feel your success because I remember when, when our second record, Talk on Corners, did really, really well in the UK. Really well. It was, you know, it was being played off the radio. We were in the States and I remember not being, we weren't able to feel that success. I mean, I think we sort of didn't say no to anything work-wise and that can be a good thing and a bad thing because we at times, I think, were a little bit burned out and maybe doing too much and not experiencing it the way that we, we, we could have. And we did talk to each other slightly about our frustrations, but we were always, being family, you'd sort of fob each other off. You know, you didn't, you didn't say, oh, how are you feeling today? Are you okay? It wasn't like that. No, it was like, okay, no, we've got a show to do. Let's just, we need to get on with this. So the, I don't think there was a huge amount of room for um, feelings put it that way, but not, not in a bad way, not in a detrimental way, I should say. By number of album sales in the UK, Talk on Corners outsold Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette, R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People, and Ray of Light by someone called Madonna. <laughs> As you wrote it and recorded it, did you have any idea that it was going to be that big? Um, I mean, I, just just you talking about Jagged Little Pill, that record, I mean, I loved, I, I remember listening to that record continually because I loved that record. But um, no, I mean, I I think we, we were actually concerned about doing the second record. I remember we, we went to LA, we were working with a few producers there. Um, the first record had done okay well enough but not to where we needed it to go so it was going to be we were slightly concerned about the second record maybe being a problem and then it's goodbye basically because i think record companies and and, and will only give you a certain amount of time so we were concerned about that and i think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and while we were in the states we worked with a few producers. We didn't have an absolute direction for the record. But I think when I look back, it was a time when we were just coming into that really good space musically. We knew what type of music we wanted to create at that point. 
Um, and I think that record is particularly a mixture of it's it's pop, it's rock, it's slightly American, it's and it's got that Irish feel as well. So I think it had all of those elements. But I, I don't think, again, it was contrived. It was just the moment that we were in. But I don't think we had any idea that it would it would get to that type of success. Um, it was very successful in the UK, not so much. It wasn't as successful in the States, but did did pretty well, you know. You toured the album for about 18 months. It's a huge, huge tour. So again, you mentioned sort of you'd been playing together as a family for, for years. Did you feel at that point you were in a flow? You had a rhythm? You knew how each other worked? For sure. I think you sort of can start reading each other's minds at this point, um, well, especially on stage. I mean, the things things do get, you know, when you're when you're doing back to back tours and and shows, it becomes quite um, automatic on stage. Um, yeah, and it, it was at the same time we were working so hard. We had very little time to think about personal lives or anything else going on. It was it was just work, work, work. During that tour, there's a gig. I say a gig. It's a concert, really, that you performed at the Royal Albert Hall on St Patrick's Day, your birthday. You're 25, and you play with Mick Fleetwood. What's going through your head at that point? Fear. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that that was, you know, that was a time when, as a band, people knew us, but not. It it it, it was very much on the cusp. It was it was. That was a very monumental show for us because obviously it was it was recorded live and went out live. And, you know, that's a big ask and, and for that performance. And we were still a young band at that stage. You know, we'd we'd we toured quite a bit, but still we weren't quite there. And so doing that show and on St. Patrick's Day and having it televised was just it, we knew it was a big opportunity for us and so many people got to see us and I think so many people got to see what the band actually did because there's a big difference between hearing a song on a radio and actually seeing well who does what on the stage and what do they actually do and it, it is this you know the mix of the traditional Irish because we do a lot of um, pure traditional music on stage as well. So people actually got to see all of the aspects of the band. Um, and that was fun. That was really fantastic. Um, and as for Mick Fleetwood, we, we asked him to play with us. Um, and thankfully, he said yes. Um, and I remember sound checking with him. And he's such an incredible player. He just arrived up and sound checked with us. I'm not sure how much he'd heard the songs, but obviously he did Dreams with us um, and he did Toss the Feathers, which was an Irish, uh, an Irish song of ours. And he just, he was just incredible. He just got up and I just love his facial expressions when he's playing as well. He's, he's, he's amazing. So for me, yeah, it was daunting. I mean, I'm playing with Mick Fleetwood, you know, <laughs> I was like, what's going on? How did this happen? But it was exciting and it was fun and it was fresh and we made it work. Did you feel equipped or had anyone prepared you or told you how to deal with fame when it when it eventually came? Not at all. No. I mean, I mean, our manager was was great in the sense that he would always say, I think he always had a vision. He said, you know, guys, be prepared. There will come a time you won't have much personal time for yourself and it will be hectic um, and things will change. But I think Coming from the family that we came from, we were quite grounded, but we were also quite sheltered. So I'm not sure if that's 
being too sheltered is a good thing when you're going out into the music world. I mean, it, it worked for us, but there were times when I think we, um, we, we understood what was happening, but I don't think we were conscious enough at the time to really, really understand what we were, we were going through. In the late 1990s, there did seem to be a wave in popular culture of like an Irish influence. You had the boy bands, you had mm -hmm. Boys Own Westlife, you had river dance, you know, mm -hmm. being a global phenomenon. Did you, did you feel proud bringing part of that culture to a global audience? Absolutely. I mean, before that, there wasn't, you didn't have that mix of Irish music and in, 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 you know, with river dance and Bill Whelan, it was a mixture of more classical music with traditional music. In our situation, it was a mixture of pop, rock and traditional music. So, yeah, I did. And I felt like there was a sort of camaraderie in, in, in all of it. And, and we, I think we did feel proud of it. Yeah, I think that in the fact that it was something at the time that was unique when you would hear it. It was something different. So a couple of years ago, there was a survey of the people of Ireland and they voted the 90s as their favourite decade. I don't know if that tells us anything. But. I know. I mean, I notice. Um, I notice even younger kids, I mean, my age, my kids' age group, are all listening to 90s music. Like, they're all playlists, they're all 90s music. Like, it's just a time that people loved. So, yeah, lived it, yeah. which is nice. Towards the end of that, decade, you were working on your next album and your family went through the heartbreaking loss of your mother at quite a young age. As a family and as a band, how did you support each other through that? You know, it's a really good question. I mean, we did, we did our best, but to be honest, I don't think we were equipped at the time to, um, we were, I think we were going into write our, we were writing in the middle of our writing our third record, I believe. So we were under pressure. We went i remember when mum became quite ill we we didn't really understand how ill she was so um because what she had gotten was a sort of a rare lung disease which was cryptogenic and 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 the the you know the doctors didn't really know how to deal with it so um i think for us it was quite a shock that she um, she got so ill and that she passed quite from her diagnosis to when she when she actually died. It was it was, you know, a very, very short period of time. So I think for us, we didn't really we were trying to process it, but we had we were right in the middle of a lot of work as well. And I'll be honest and say, I think we just sort of well, for me personally, I think we just dove back into we back into work. We just decided, OK, We've got things to do. Um, Mum would like us to be doing what we we have been doing and what we love to do. She would like that. So we just got back into work. Um, um, and I, I don't know if that was the right thing to do. I, you know, when I when I reflect, I think um, we should have taken a little bit more time out for ourselves. But it's felt right at the time. Um, and we did support each other as much as we could. But I think um, sometimes we didn't want to talk about it too much because probably it was painful for everybody. And I think obviously these are your siblings, so they're in the same pain as you are. So there's nobody outside of it, if you know what I mm -hmm. mean. So we did our best at the time, but um, you know, it was, we were 
at the time we were very successful so we were just on this sort of you know train we just kept going sometimes creativity and music can be can be quite cathartic did performances close to that loss become an outlet for that um for sure and i think you can hear it in a lot in andrea's lyrics um at that time there are many references to to mom and grief and you know life changes and things changing in life and growing up so it had a huge effect absolutely and you can hear it in the, you know you can hear it in the music for sure and 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 in the lyrics and as someone brought up in a catholic environment went to convent school did you find yourself asking those big life questions about meaning and purpose or did you just crack on with with work and other distractions um we were definitely living in a very distracted world for sure so um there wasn't much time to ask a lot of those questions i think a lot of those questions came to me a bit later on when we were when you know when we were not as busy um and we did have a catholic upbringing and and we all have different views on that you know in ireland there were certain things were just the way that things were done my father was quite catholic my mother was absolutely not really <laughs> at all <laughs> she was much more of a freer in that way um but we were we did we were brought up in that environment um but we also did question a lot of things and and for me um i suppose my i i did probably to be honest reject a lot of my catholic upbringing later on because i didn't feel so positive about it later just personally you know um i think for some people it gives them an enormous amount of comfort and i'm very very respectful of individual people's faiths and and what they want to what they what they feel gives them hope in life and what they feel is um true for them but i didn't find it as positive as other people did so i i suppose i i did later on reject quite a bit of that but i'd be quite open about that that's not a big deal for me you know a big reason for taking time away from the music industry then was becoming a mother yourself. Mm-hmm. Was it an easy decision to make? Again, I didn't think enough quite enough I didn't think enough about it at the time. The timing of me deciding to have children probably wasn't the best for the band, I would say in reflection. Um but I did work for quite a few years even when I was having children. So it probably wasn't the best timing but um I was just ready to have children. I I don't know why I'd met I'd met somebody who it felt right to be to to be in a relationship to get married and to have children at the time. Even though when I look back I would say I was still quite young because you know I was married when I I got married when I was 20 29. Yeah, 29. I had my first child by 30. So yeah, it it does feel quite young now. but at the time um it felt natural i've seen um there's there's a couple of clips on youtube of you you know doing interviews while pregnant um <laughs> as as well no not great timing um <laughs> but you know that's life you yeah. know there's no there's no great time you know sometimes you push things forward in life and then it's not the right time later on so i think you do have to go with the flow a little bit but certainly was not great timing for the band absolutely not do you feel that's changed there are more artists and musicians that seem to you know continue performing and working throughout pregnancy and and motherhood and i wonder whether or not that balance or or lack of balance i suppose has has changed now 
to what it was when you were going through that? Um, you know, I, I find some women remarkable in what they're able to achieve um, with balancing, you know, home life, kids, work. I find them incredible. I, I feel I was very much torn between, um, especially it being the music industry where, you, you know, there's demands to be out on the road or gone for days on end. I felt it was a real pull for me to be with my children. Um, and that's just the mom that I was. And I wish I could have been a little bit more um, balanced in that at the time. It's just how I felt at the time. So I did my best to do as much work as I could, but I always felt like it was, it was a difficult, um, it was emotionally a difficult balance for me, definitely, especially in the, in the early days. So I did pull back from work. I mean, for quite a long time, I did, yeah. Did you miss any elements of your other life? Well, I do remember being pregnant and they all went off to America on a tour. And I, I mean, at that time I was, you know, I mean, we had done a lot of, we worked really, really for many, many years. And at that time, I suppose it felt okay for me to do that. But I did think at the time, wow, the band are on tour and I'm not there. So it, it did feel a bit, a bit strange, but at the same time, we were sort of pulling back from the amount of work that we had been doing naturally anyway, I think. I think everybody was a little bit exhausted at that point, having done, I think it was four or five records at this point. Thinking of that divide between the world of music and the world of motherhood, whether or not, uh, whether or not they know it, kids don't really care about anything other than you being their parent. Mm -hmm. So I suppose that could be a bit of a reality check as well. Did you find that? You mean, you mean in the sense that they... They don't care that you're a pop star, right? Oh, no, no, absolutely not. And, and um, I mean, they had no actually sense of that for years and years and years while they were growing up. You're just mom. You're like every other mom doing what your daily routine with them. And they had absolutely no concept of uh, the band or what I did until later when we decided to, after taking a really, really long break, um, I mean, people just thought we'd broken up or that we didn't exist anymore, but we, um, we decided we would, uh, we would work together. I think it was 2016, yeah. And then went on to do another record. And my kids and my siblings' kids got to actually see us on stage for the first time. So that was actually great because then it was like, well, yeah, I, I do I do, do more than what you think I do, kids. <laughs> you know, I did have another life. <laughs> so, uh, and I think it was uh, intriguing for them later on then to see this. Mm. You know, they had another, an un a bigger understanding of me and the band and, and my siblings, yeah. you know. Have you been keen to instill a passion for music in your children as well? Yes, for sure. I've always wanted them to have the, I suppose, the enjoyment of music more than anything, to have that outlet or to feel inspired by music or, you know, music is an amazing therapy as well. Just to have that in their lives, um, I've wanted that. But I would not have been, certainly not a pushy, not a pushy parent in that sort of way. I mean, they all got piano lessons and, you know, my daughter's learning the bass and they sing a little bit, but I only wanted it if they wanted it, you know, not in any other way. What, if anything, then, do you see of your own parents in the way that you are running your family, I suppose? 
I mean, yeah, I think we take things, things we all take things from our parents that are just naturally familiar to us that we give to our own children. And I think definitely work ethic, responsibility, accountability, but also following your passions and dreams to me is the most important thing. And it's not always possible in life. There are times in life we have to just choose something in life to get us through at certain times, you know. Um, but I think if we can endeavor to follow our dreams and passions, our passions really, um, that it'll be a more fulfilling work life and experience. So I'd, I'd like to pass that on to them. But also I do at times have sort of reality checks with them as well. Like, okay, if it doesn't work out, well, maybe something else or, or, or things like that. I'll have those conversations with them. You talk about following your passions and, and dreams as someone who has been a musician all their adult life and then you know the, the sort of all all consuming life of being a mother as well and, and raising your family have you carved out time for other interests and putting energy into other passions as as a, an individual and your kind of your own identity outside of those two quite big hats I suppose that you wear yeah and, and that was something that was really difficult for me to do for a long time I don't really know why I always thought of myself as a musician um, and that this is what I did but I realized I had a lot of other things that I was interested in that um, that I just enjoy doing whether they become something that's part of work or not just things that I enjoy you know I mean I'm very much interested in Wine, for instance, which is very much, I mean, just learning about wine, not just drinking it, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Like, I, that interests me, you know, um, you know, growing wine, all of those things. So there are other things that I, I really enjoy doing. Um, obviously, you know, more holistic approaches to health and, and things like that, I'm quite interested in. So have they sort of emerged as your kids have grown up and they don't need your full attention. Absolutely. And and I think we all need to have things in our life that that we're interested in and that we're passionate about that isn't just, you know, for me it was definitely music had taken over my life in many many ways and not in a bad way, it just had. So it's really good to step out of that. Really really good just for your mind and your spirit. What was it that prompted the getting back together then? Who was the instigator of that? That was probably me, I would say. <laughs> Bored. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, we'd always talked, oh, well, you know, will we do any work together? And it was always kind of in the back of our minds. And um, I was also cognizant of the fact that, you know, Andrea had younger children, so it wasn't as easy for her. So I came back to the UK um, and I thought, oh, I'd really love to do some music again. So I did call everybody up and said, look, shall we, you know, write some music? Shall we do a tour? Without putting any pressure on, because I thought, well, if, if we all need to be on the same page and if we're not, well, it's not going to work out anyway. So everybody then came on board and we, did, we didn't envisage writing another record, but we did. We started to do, again, you know, demos, um, just collaborating together in different places, either in London or in, in different areas, um, sometimes in Dublin. And we ended up get, having some decent songs. Um, and then it was only later that we decided to, to 
get the record company involved again and say, okay, maybe this is a record. Um, but that wasn't the intention at the beginning. I mean, that really surpassed what I thought we would be able to do because we hadn't worked together for so long. But I knew that I just felt there was music within us. And I think we all did feel there was more music there. Did things fall into place quite naturally then when you? Like, I mean, it was like it was it was so natural. I mean, it was quite extraordinary. Um, and I was surprised at that. I mean, suddenly we were in a, you know, writing together again and it felt so natural and everybody had ideas because we'd been away from it for so long. So there was no pressure though. And I think the best way to make a record is when you're not under pressure. Um, and we didn't even know what it was going to be. So we just, we just, the process was really, really easy and interesting. Um, and just, we became better listeners as well. <laughs> part of growing up but I think we had also realized that there was less um, you know I think people have this image of the of the cores as being everything was sort of plain sailing and we're a really nice band and but it wasn't like I mean there was a lot of you know there was conflict in between there was we're siblings of course there is going to be and when you're writing together and working together all the time it can be really really difficult but I think we had all grown up at this point, put a lot of our issues behind us um, and really appreciated what each individual could bring to this collaboration. Um, uh, and I certainly just looked at my siblings and went, wow, you know, that sounds amazing and, and let's work on this. And, and it just progressed like that. So yeah, for, it was me, I was bored. <laughs> That's how we started again, yeah. How did it feel with getting back on stage? Were there nerves? Yeah, I mean, we were super nervous because we hadn't we hadn't toured in so long. And then obviously we went straight back into doing arenas. So we obviously wanted to have a decent production as well. And then suddenly it's oh, wow, now we've got to now we've got to actually do a, a good show because obviously we're back to doing arenas uh, so quickly. Mm. So it was wonderful. It was wonderful to be able to play again. Amazing. Also, the other thing I suppose that happened while you were on that break is the massive rise of the internet and social media. So essentially, you stopped performing and recording on one side, and then as a as a comeback, you've got all these other considerations to take into account. Was was the label strong on getting you to, you know, get on Instagram and? do Facebook Live and all that kind of stuff as well? I mean, definitely it had changed. And obviously with Spotify being the biggest one, um, you know, just the fact that it's a digital world now, digital downloads, um, obviously um, streaming. So, you know, when we had left, when we had finished the first time round in music, everything was pretty much still physical sales. It was still people would walk out into a store and buy a CD. Um, so now we live in a very, very different world. And I suppose, yeah, we did navigate it as best as, as we could when we, when we came back together. And yeah, we, we did think a bit more about um, the digital side of things and, and, and how it works now. I read in an interview that it was a while ago, but you like to be able to be impulsive and not to be tied down to one place and just to sort of flit off and go to another country. Having been here for six, six years now, has that changed? Do you feel more rooted? I certainly feel more rooted. And I have less desire to be constantly on the move for sure. But I think it's part of how um, 
traveling so young and constantly traveling, it just became something that was normal to me. Whether it is normal, I don't know, but it became normal to me at one point. Um, but I definitely feel like I love, be, I love being here in Somerset. I feel like it's just like, it's so, it's like my sanctuary in a sense. It's my, it's my um, place that keeps me grounded. And um, even though I love to travel, I feel like I'll always be here at certain times of my life. You know, even when my kids aren't around so much, I'll still be here. So um, I do get itchy feet like most people, yeah. Um, but um, I'm much better at managing that. <laughs>
When, I do not know, but I think it will happen um, when things settle a bit more in the world. Um, and other than that, I think, I, you know, as we were talking about earlier, I'd love to sort of uh, pursue other things outside of the band as well. Yeah, so that's probably it for right now. Caroline, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. You've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much, Lewis. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Somerset Stories. If you liked it, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on social media at Somerset Stories or email hello at somersetstories.com. Music on all Somerset Stories productions is created by Jazar. You can be found at betterwithmusic.com. See you next time.